Sheila Addison's. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And um, Marty is over in Studio CC, and he'll be getting our guests on in just a little bit um, so that we can spend the rest of the time talking about a very light topic, um, <laughs> demons. <laughs> okay. um, once again, once again, we're going to be interviewing uh, Dr. Michael Heiser, who mm-hmm. um, is an Old Testament scholar, has got a Ph.D. in Semitic languages, um, worked in the development of uh, Lagos or depending on where you're from, Logos Bible mm-hmm. software. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've had him on a couple times before to discuss the unseen realm and to discuss Angels, Angels, both of which are books that he's authored. Mm -hmm. Um, He's got other books in the list. Supernatural, The World Turned Upside Down, The Bible Unfiltered. um, And I I Dare You Not to Bore Me with the Bible. Um, All of those (laughs) very captivating titles, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just there's something fascinating about um, discussing this realm that we know exists, but Mm. we can't see it. Mm. And um, so we talked about angels. And one of the things that was mind-blowing was, um, you know, if, if people can remember back to, to those particular episodes, but mind-blowing just to kind of explore the introduction of angels. When mm-hmm. are angels first introduced? Uh, one of the things that um, Dr. Heiser does just a fantastic job at is reminding us that a lot of what we think um, has come to us by way of tradition and not fervent Bible yeah. study. yeah. And that is probably going to be the case as we talk about demons. I think yeah. what many of us, myself included, <laughs> are going to realize is that what we think about demons, um, we can expand that topic and say the unseen realm, but today we're going to focus on demons. Um, much of that comes from tradition that's been passed down mm-hmm. and even, unfortunately, reading into the scriptures mm-hmm. what has been passed down to us. You agree? Yeah, I agree. And one thing I would say about Dr. Heiser when we have him on and, and in his books, I appreciate because I think a lot of times when we're reading the scriptures and stuff, we, we don't bring to it, you know, we don't understand all like the, the words, what they meant or what they yes. me, really mean yes. you know, to the, the people and how. And so I, I reading his stuff, it, it gives a, a new light to like, oh, this word, you know, are these words, uh, this means this and not what I thought it was in my mind. You know, uh, bringing that uh, research to it, and a lot of times we uh, don't do that. We don't dig that deep, you know, to find out what these words actually mean. So I wanted to start off before um, Dr. Heiser joins us by just having a short conversation with you mm-hmm. about some of your um, conceptions, mm-hmm. if you will, about demons. What yeah. are some of the things that you have thought? And then um, to expand that, what are some of the things you wonder about yeah. that you think might fuel the discussion? I think that my thinking on the the origin of the demons, like where they came from, 
you know, you know, after hearing a little bit of what Dr. Heiser said before, and I'm mm-hmm. sure in this book as well, you know, it kind of clears up because you, my, my, my um, thinking was that the angels fell and those angels became demons. Like the, yeah. the ones that fell were the ones that became demons, but I've heard him describe it differently, you know, from, yeah. Yeah. So I, that's one thing, you know, um, and I, even uh, the description of, the Nephilim and all that stuff, like yes, you know, I would, I always have been confused about by, uh, by that. Like, what is that? Who were they? Like, what, what's going on here? You know, yeah, uh, those type of things. So when I and, and just like you, I have thought that there was just one fall, and the result of that one fall included one third of the angels mm-hmm. in heaven, right? And 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 really, I think that Dr. Heiser would take issue with us just using angels as a blanket term, because as we know from our previous interview, right. that it's not just one blanket term, that there's different ways, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, um, but I one of the things that when I think about this one or at least according to my tradition. Right. Right. I've thought about this one fall and then a third of the angels um, mm-hmm. taken down. I've thought, okay, well, we read in Hebrews that these angels are innumerable. And so I've thought, well, then that would make sense because if you have a third of an innumerable amount, Mm. that would still make it innumerable. So I'm trying to like my brain is trying to do all these gymnastics. So hopefully we'll get some of those um, those questions answered today. And um, just just take our time and learn, because one of the things that we can count on with Dr. Heiser is that. we are going to be forced to think in a way that goes away from our tradition. And that's yeah. not a bad thing. And, right? and, and I would, I would say even, you know, to all of the listeners and, and ourselves included, included, whatever we hear, we want to make sure that we are uh, being Bereans as well, you know, that's right. and, and, and lining, lining it up against scripture, you know, and yes, and that's important, you know, whatever. And I think Dr. Heiser anticipates that. I mean, if yeah. you, you read yeah. his books, you, you obviously what you're going to find, those of you who get his books, um, you're going to find the footnotes and you're going to find that it's, it's going to take you time. If you're reading it diligently, you're going to find that's the thing that you are cross-referencing that mm-hmm. you're going to pause quite a bit yeah. <laughs> and you're going to be trying to, to dissect and to take apart and to make it make sense as well, which I think is a really good thing. That's right. So let's get Dr. Heiser on with us then. And let's just dive right into this conversation. Our audience is familiar with Dr. Heiser and they've come to appreciate um, his, his study and just, man, just being able to unpack these issues. I think that we take for granted. And so I'm anticipating that our conversation today around demons will not be uh, much different than the conversation around angels or the unseen realm. Dr. Michael Heiser, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. So I know that since the last time I think we we talked with you, you've changed um, some of the work that you're doing. Do you want to catch our listeners up and, and let them know what it is that you're doing now? Yeah, we, we moved to Jacksonville, Florida in January. And so I'm now... This is my lofty title now. I'm the Executive Director of the Awakening School of Theology and Ministry, which is run under the auspices of Celebration Church in Jacksonville. So that's what I'm doing now. Okay. Okay, that's great. Now, this is not on topic, but I'm just curious. That's a fairly large church, is it not? Yeah, it's it's actually a network of churches. Um, okay. You know, it, it's kind of a new environment for me. I've never, I've always been in small, you know, churches, so it's my first exposure to something like this. But they're very, I don't know, it's 
14, 15 campuses, and eight of those wow. are international. And they're going to have around, the plan is to have around 20 campuses um, going into next year. And, you know, my, my task is to produce content, uh, it, it really, that's going to get used and repurposed at all levels uh, of the church. So wow. part of that is we have a two-year certificate program. And people want to sign up for information. It's already started. We're, we're coming to the end of our first semester, but you know we're taking registration now for the fall. But it's schooloftheology.com. And, and the first year is essentially taking 30 weeks going through my content, you know, unseen realm mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the second year is they told me anything I care about. <laughs> oh, in wow. my case, <laughs> is going to be what I would call postmodern apologetics. Hmm. Uh, okay. It's the stuff that, that believers are troubled by and run into on YouTube and the internet. You know, things like Jesus never existed, or Jesus is just some repackaged Egyptian deity. Or, you know, I, I've been in the fringe stuff for over twenty years, and I've been on a lot. I do a lot of New Age talk shows. I've done you know New Age conferences and whatnot. So I, I'm pretty familiar, you know, with the alternative fringe worldviews. Mm-hmm. And I thought that would be a good sort of unique thing that, that I could do to help believers navigate what, in most cases, is just a terrible use of data mm-hmm. matched by deeply flawed thinking. Uh, but nevertheless, mm-hmm. people are troubled you know, by it. They, they, they're harmed by it as far as their, their faith. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Heiser, let's wow. jump right into talking about your latest book, Demons. And one of the things that um, we can kind of carry over from our previous conversations is that we have a lot of traditional thinking on yeah. what we perceive to be biblical. <laughs> we think it's biblical. It's just been mm-hmm. kind of passed down and we kind of take it as biblical. Um, I expect that the same is going to be true as we delve into talking about demons. So first, let's talk about what some of those common traditional beliefs are that we have about demons and about darkness even? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it's not like what we think is, you know, horribly flawed in terms of, oh, I'm, you know, I, I thought I had this thought and now I'm, you know, guilty of receiving false teaching or anything. It's mm-hmm. nothing like that. It's nothing sinister. But, you know, typically what we do is we, you know, have the, the black hats and the white hats. The white hats are angels, the black hats are demons, and then there's Satan, and now we're done. And and the, the picture is a lot more variegated on both sides uh, than that. And what it's really the result of, of history uh, and tradition. I'll give you one, just a sort of a, a summary answer here. You know, in the Old Testament, I did this in the Angels book, and I do it in the Demons book in the first chapter. I get into terminology. And what happened is, there's in, in the Hebrew Bible, there's all sorts of terms for it's the cast of characters, we'll, we'll call it, on both sides. And when the Old Testament in Hebrew was translated into Greek, in the, the Hellenistic period, we'll, we'll blame Alexander's great for this, <laughs> uh, when everybody was speaking and reading Greek in between the Biblical Testaments, mm-hmm. the translators you know, decided to make these choices, you know, like, okay, the good guys we're going to call, you know, angelos, messengers from God, and the bad guys we're going to, we're going to select daimon or demon, and, and they even use the term for idols as well. And so, since that was the Greek-speaking source, 
for the scriptures, and that source was inherited by Gentile churches in the apostolic period, and further inherited by the succeeding generations of the early church. That's just the way people, you know, were taught you know, these things because they, they couldn't read Hebrew, they couldn't go back, you know, into you know, particular texts, and that's just the way it is. I think more sinister, if I want to use that word for it, or at least more irresponsible, is the fact that we were, that the church after the 4th century AD was taught very intentionally not to see supernatural beings in Genesis 6. Mm. And they completely lost what happened at Babel uh, because they were going along with the traditional uh, Jewish text of the Old Testament that does not match the Dead Sea Scrolls in Deuteronomy 32.8 which has the nations allotted to other supernatural beings, sons of God, and then they, they become hostile and adversarial uh, to God and his people. And so you actually have three separate rebellions. You have you know, Adam and Eve in the garden with the serpent. You've got Genesis 6, the sons of God, you know, and the Nephilim and all that stuff. And then you've got the nations assigned to these other beings that become corrupt. And this is where... This is where the other nations get their pantheons. This is where Daniel gets his theology, Daniel 10. You know, the prince of Persia, prince of Greece, supernatural beings attached to geographical, geopolitical entities. Mm. Where does Daniel get that? He gets it from Deuteronomy 32. So Paul gets his notion of principalities and powers and rulers, thrones and dominions. These are all geographical rulership terms. He doesn't refer to them as demons. He refers to them by these other terms. And so you have this whole panoply of, you know, this whole cast of characters that gets conflated by both translation and church tradition into demons. Again, we, we still have a good sense of who's on the right side, who's on the wrong side, and, and we're still warned, uh, you know, in the New Testament about giving place to the devil and being, being you know, wary of his devices and you know, we, we still get a good sense of spiritual warfare, but we lose a lot of the richness uh, of the text. We, we lose a lot of the nuancing, which helps us understand a lot of different passages that now just seem incomprehensible to us. Um, so, it's, you know, it's a mixed bag. So one of the things that I think I want to explore on the other side of the break is the nuance of... Um, darkness and and demons and how all of that is referred to in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. You've touched on it a little bit, but I want to go back there when we when we get back on the other side of the break. We're talking about demons with Dr. Michael Heiser, Aaron the Addisons. We'll be right back. Here's a question for you. What if you could read your Bible only once every two months during this very difficult time? That would be tough, wouldn't it? This is Bible League International, engaging the world with God's Word since 1938 for only $5 a Bible. Now imagine you're part of a congregation of 60 adults with one Bible, and each person was allowed to have that Bible for one full day before passing it off to the next person. You wouldn't hold that Bible again for two months. Sound unreal? Well, it's the reality for a church of former Hindus in rural India. 
There's no bookstore here or an online retailer to drop a box of Bibles into their village, but thank God that a church planner with a Bible came and introduced many to Christ, and now these new believers are eager to read for themselves about Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Learn how you can make a difference by visiting sendbiblesnow.org, sendbiblesnow.org, or by calling Bible League at 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Spring share is coming May 19th through the 21st. Yes, this is Sunny from Texas, and I just can't say enough about AFR. I've been a Christian for many, many years. I'm an outside sales and um, driving around every day. It has made so much of a difference in my life. I'm happier. I have a purpose. I feel so much more brave to share my faith, and I'm learning so much every day. I love Alex McFarland and how he teaches us in apologetics, and uh, the, the whole station is just amazing. I am a contributor now, um, and I just thank you guys so much. By the grace of God and with your help, AFR is making a difference. Join us for our three-day Spring share May 19th, 20th, and 21st. And thank you for standing with American Family Radio. Here's Steve Tiber, president of Eight Days of Hope. 2020 is going to be a busy year, and you'll have plenty of opportunities to come love and serve those in need with Eight Days of Hope. One of the new arms of the ministry is our safe house construction ministry. We travel the country and we partner with an existing ministry and help them renovate, build, or remodel facility to provide a safe place for those who've been rescued from sex trafficking. For more information, as always, please go to our website. Eight Days of Hope started as a disaster relief ministry, and it has continued to grow since then. We partner with an organization called Bigger Than Ball. Bigger Than Ball partnered with us when we went to Houston, Texas after Hurricane Harvey. We partnered with the Houston Astros, we rebuilt eight baseball diamonds, and Bigger Than Ball then put on a free sports camp. Eight Days of Hope is much more than disaster relief. For more information about this ministry or any arms of the ministry of Eight Days of Hope, please go to our website, 8daysofhope.com. Come be the hands and feet of Jesus. Welcome back to Ernie Addison's on American Family Radio. We are talking with Dr. Michael Heiser, author of uh, the, his latest book, Demons, What the Bible Really Says About the Powers of Darkness. And um, I'm, I want to jump right back in. Let me just also say I'm Miki. And I'm Will and uh, Mandisa with God Speaking. Okay, so, you know, when I think of darkness, I think of demons. I think mm-hmm. of I think of those things as synonyms. I think of um, spiritual wickedness. I think of principalities. I think of something that is tangible. But what I gather from your book, Doctor Heiser, is that darkness, as it's depicted in the Old Testament and and maybe even in the New Testament to some extent, is not just demons. It's not just um, these spirits or these who have rebelled against God. But it is all of fallen creation. Help us understand that. Well, the, the, the two subjects get intertwined because if you go back to the to Genesis 3, the first rebellion, what's the result of that? 
you know, okay, we, we think about Adam and Eve, they're expelled from the garden, and now they're going to die. You know, they lose their immortality. You know, the, the, the serpent figure, Satan, you know, is cast down to the, to the quote-unquote ground, which is also a term for the underworld. And the underworld was thought to be in the earth anyway. So, you know, this becomes his home. It's the place of death now. Humanity's relationship is severed with God. There has to be redemption. And, and the place is going to die. Everything dies now. Everything is going to be laid at the feet of this one now because of the destruction, the ruination of, of Eden. So because of that idea, you get anything in the creation from that point on that is potentially hazardous to human life and human habitation becomes sort of, in the, in the biblical writer's mind, it becomes kind of a metaphor for, for chaos and evil. When I say chaos and evil, think anti-Eden. Everything that isn't Eden, everything that is contrary to the life and the existence you know, that, that God wanted for humanity. And so all of these things that threaten human beings, whether it be the desert wilderness that's uninhabitable, or you know, a natural disaster, or some kind of you know weird creature that lives in the deep. You know, that, that humans don't live there. You know? So this is weird stuff. You know, anything like that that is threatening to humans sort of gets thrown into the you know dragged into the vortex of everything that's naughty. You know, everything, and it becomes sinister and, and again associated with death and destruction. So this is why you have in, in the biblical world kind of the the admixture of both entities, again, that harass people, that enslave people, that don't want mm. the relationship with the true God restored. Those guys get mixed with all this other stuff. Because <laughs> mm. it's all collectively anti-Eden. Everything in it is, is opposed to what God wanted originally. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when I think of, um, and not to to mix your book titles here, but as you understand, they all kind of mesh together. I mean, especially when you're talking about, I guess, what might be the bigger umbrella is this unseen realm, this realm that exists, that is real, that we cannot see, but is as real (laughs) as what we can see. Um, I'm thinking of there's one particular scripture in the New Testament, and we can toggle back and forth between Old Testament and New Testament, however you like, Dr. Heiser. But I'm thinking of the scripture in the New Testament where Paul is writing to the Colossians. And we've had this conversation with our children. And so this might be a little bit self-serving, but I'm just wondering if we understand this properly. But Paul is telling the Colossians that God has delivered us from this domain Domain of of darkness darkness. and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son Mm -hmm. in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Help me understand the the accurate picture of this domain of darkness Mm. that Paul is talking about, because I don't know if there's any other writer that kind of um, reminds us or provokes us to understand that there is a real battle going on other than Paul. So help us to understand mm-hmm. that a little bit. Well, there, there, there are two kingdoms. You're talking about Colossians 1.13. Mm-hmm. So you have the kingdom of his beloved son, you have the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God? Well, it's, it's that domain, if you will, where God is king. Those who are loyal to God are with him, both supernatural and human. It's the place of life, you know, not death. You know, all these wonderful things that both, you know, we, we 
are in that present reality now because we are joined to Christ. Obviously, Christ is going to be with that kingdom, and that kingdom he already is the seat of authority. So we have an already sense, but then a not yet. I mean, this is all mm-hmm. you know, heaven, new earth kind of thing. And, and the flip side of that is basically that the domain of darkness is everything the other one isn't. Mm. God isn't sin. Okay, the, the, the beings, the supernatural beings who are part of that world aren't loyal to him. In fact, they are hostile. They don't want humans to be re-entered into the kingdom of God as God originally wanted. Their job is to harass, to destroy, to prevent, to impede that from happening. And, and so what, what Paul is saying here is very consistent, you know, with scenes in the Gospels and other things you find in the epistles, that because of of the crucifixion and the subsequent resurrection and the ascension of, of, of Christ. The messaging is, is pretty clear, but also you know, really profound, that if you are a member of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of his beloved Son, nothing in the other realm has any authority over you at all. In fact, it goes even beyond that. The first rebellion resulted in death and estrangement from God. If you're united to Christ through faith, you know, through embracing the gospel, you are not only brought back into relationship with God, but you will not die, you know, in an eternal sense. Your body may die, mm-hmm. but you will be a member of the new earth, and you will live forever. You will have everlasting life. So both curses, both results of the, of the initial rebellion are overturned. They're reversed. So we have to be thinking of, of the kind of like, if you're not in the kingdom of God, what is your situation? What's your condition? You're going to die. You will never have eternal life. You're estranged from God. You have no power against the impulses of depravity. You know, you, 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 you are really only a resident of the present world, you know, which is filled with anti-Eden things, like, you know, just fragmentation of human relationships. You know, immorality, racism, I mean, you name it, injustice, it's all the Psalm 82 stuff. This is your world. You know, and, and so these two things are, are, are pitted against each other. And when you join the other kingdom, the kingdom of, of, of God, mm-hmm. through embracing the gospel, none of these things have any, you know, I'll use the word legal, any, or theological authority over you. Mm-hmm. You are not bound in any way to listening to these voices. Mm-hmm. You're not going to, to have eternal death. You're going to have eternal life. You know, you're in a loving relationship with God. And these are the things that ultimately God wanted at the beginning, and the things that He knows will be the most satisfying for us. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, if you if you're you're embracing the gospel, this is where you presently are, like Paul says in that verse, he has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Mm. Mm. His beloved son. This is a present reality, but you're still in a body. Okay, you're still in this world. Why are you still in this world? Because you have a job to do. Your mm. job is to get as many other people, you know, out of the enslavement to these powers. It's the Great Commission. Now, the Great Commission is the core. It is the reference point of spiritual warfare. I mean, we often don't think of it that way. Again, to define spiritual warfare, that you just ask a simple question: What do the powers of darkness fear? Okay, they don't—they don't fear being mm-hmm. shouted at. They don't fear, you know, hymns, even if they're good ones. You know, they—you know—they music. You know, they, I mean, all these things might irritate them. They don't fear it. What they fear is the progression.
progression and the accomplishment of the Great Commission. How do we know that? Because Paul tells us that in Romans 9, Romans 11. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. He links what he calls the fullness of the Gentiles being brought into the family of God with the end of day. When this happens, when the gospel reaches the whole world and God gathers those who are going to be his, then Israel will have its awakening, and whatever that means, it's two or three different directions, but quote-unquote, you know, all Israel will be saved, Israel will have its awakening, and then the end comes. Then we have the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is the time of fulfillment of the judgment of Psalm 82, mm-hmm. when these dark forces will, quote, die like men. So the longer they can kick that can down the road and keep the Great Commission from moving forward and accomplishing, you know, reaching that point that God mm-hmm. knows the point has been reached, we're done now. As long as they can forestall that, they're good. Mm. I mean, that's how they define victory. Even they're not going to beat God, but they can keep kicking the can down the road by distracting the church. Wow. You know, by, by you know, getting believers to believe lies about you know a whole, a whole host of things. You know, anything that'll keep the Great Commission from happening the way it can happen, the way it should happen. Wow. I have a question. With, okay, with, so what does with, that um, look like? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, Will. Okay. With with um, <laughs> I think we have a little delay. With all of the tradition, like we talked about the tradition, um, you know that we've been brought up with, and not even really understanding, you know, uh, some of the terminology and the words and stuff like that. It seemed like we've gone so far into these traditions. How do we even begin to like turn around in in the proper knowledge of of how? Because this is so ingrained the way that we think about demons and angels and you know, and all those things, how, how do you begin to, if, if I'm just a regular, you know, um, church attendee, you know, I, I love the Lord, I love the Word of God, what do I start, you know, with these things? I, 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 would, say, I would say a good place to start, this is going to sound a little odd, but, but you, you, you probably understand what I mean by this. Mm-hmm. A good place to start is really understanding what the gospel is and mm-hmm. what it isn't. Mm-hmm. Okay, a lot of believers are trapped. They understand John three sixteen. They have a moment in their life where the gospel, the clarity of it, dawns on them, and then they get entrapped by, you know, sort of performance mill Christianity. They, they they revert back to works thinking, like like I get up today and I better do this, that, and other things to, mm-hmm. to keep God happy with me. Mm-hmm. I got news for you. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you That's before right. you even had a thought about what God <laughs> thinks of you. He loved you. Yeah. So let's just take that off the table, okay? You do, you live a certain way. God wants you to, you know, to be holy and, and progress in your Christian life. Why? So that he can use you to get more people out of the pit. Mm. You know, it, it's, it's not a question mm. of, of, you know, being saved. You know, the, the life, we don't earn salvation. We don't merit it. God is never in our debt. He gives it to us free. We just have to believe it. Yeah. So that would really help kind of orient our, our security in Christ. And then the second thing would be is, well, maybe I need a, a bigger view of this thing called the Great Commission. That, and I'm not saying this is bad. I mean, I, I did a lot of this, you know, handing out gospel tracts, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, doing things like this. You know, everything, you have to realize everything you do falls into one of three categories. Pre-evangelism, that is doing, treating your neighbor like you would want to be treated. Mm. You give Jesus a good reputation. That leads to acts of evangelism. 
individualism, you know, where you can actually have those conversations. And if you're not doing what, you know, if what you're doing is not being filed in one of those two buckets, then it's just not, you know, it's wood, hay, and stubble. It's just not of any use. And so, so we need to get a better sense of who we are. We are God's children. We are his images. We are left on the earth, again, to accomplish, to restore what God, you know, wants for us that has been lost. Mm-hmm. And everything we do, if we really believe in things like providence, you know, much less supernatural assistance as we go through life, if we even believe in providence, that God is active in, in a, on a moment-by-moment basis in our life and in everybody else's life, then what we do, everything we do has a, has a ripple effect. You know, the, the fact that, that I, you know, have written books, and I'm, I do, you know, lots of radio, and they got the YouTube and the TV and all this stuff. You know, you know what? If I go backward in my life, you know when it begins? It begins after a thousand decisions. Hmm. Okay, the first one of which is, you know, the my nine-year-old friend, you know, in a, in a family, four kids, single mom, mm-hmm. whose husband had left her because she became a Christian. Wow. She invites me over. Mm-hmm. To you know, hear her Bible story. That's where it begins. Mm. So you have this one innocuous little event, but look where it goes. Mm-hmm. The thing is, we don't know where these innocuous little events that we do at work, that we do at home, that we do at church, that we do just in a, in a, in a random, what we think is a random conversation. Everything we do becomes fodder for either distracting people from the gospel or moving them forward a little bit. Mm. But we don't think that way. Yeah. You know, we, we, we don't really think that way. But what I'm suggesting is those are two really profound but simple things that people can do to, to just get on, on, on the right track of you know, what God wants them to do. I mean, Jesus didn't leave, and, and the Great Commission wasn't go read Heiser's books, okay? So <laughs> when they're out. Mm. It, it's not go, you know, you know, learn all these languages. You know, it's the Great Commission. Mm, it's made disciples. So if, if you get oriented from the very beginning, well then, yeah, then you can start to get a, a fuller appreciation of Bible study, you know, listening to program. I mean, you, you can start to accrue a little bit, you know, knowledge. You're going to, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just a scholar, I have a PhD and all this, but what I really am is I'm the cumulative result of five minutes a day. That's what I am. Amen. And, and I mean, everybody know, can do this. I'm hoping that, excuse me, that it's not overly simplistic for me to think that the the spiritual opposition that we're talking about kind of boils down to one motive, that there's one reason for the type of spiritual mm-hmm. battles that we're engaged in, and that's to stop the growth or the expansion of the kingdom of God. And if that is true, then... get back on the other side of the break what i would like to do is kind of unpack the power of prayer and intercession and why that matters um in this battle that we're in uh dr michael heiser is our guest we're discuss discussing his book demons we'll take a break and we'll be right back So I don't know if you saw this, but there was just this big study about anxiety among us. Really interesting in this study about what can keep us up at night. One of the top stressors out of all the things to worry about is paying for health care. A huge majority of us say we're worried about that. It's totally understandable, but there's an affordable alternative to health insurance. It's MediShare. 
It's a Christian healthcare sharing ministry, and it has worked beautifully for more than 25 years. And not only do people save lots of money, they get access to a huge network of doctors. They get to take advantage of 24-7 live access online where they can talk to a doctor and even get prescriptions. And of course, there is the savings. With MediShare, the typical family saves $500 a month. That can help you sleep easier, too. There's a lot to love about it. No wonder it's grown so much. Here is the number to find out more. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. American Family Radio newscasts are now available as a podcast. I'm Rusty Pugh. I'm Steve Jordahl. Didn't catch the full story? Listen to the podcast. I'm Chris Woodward. I'm Chad Groening. Didn't have the radio on at the top of the hour? Listen to the podcast. I'm Charlie Bunch. And I'm Fred Jackson. Get accurate news from a Christian perspective whenever you want it with the American Family News podcast. You can also sign up for our daily news brief. Visit onenewsnow.com. The institution of marriage goes back to the beginning of creation. One man and one woman. Bishop E.W. Jackson. The definition of gender is something that God set forth at the very beginning of creation. Male and female. And then you got a bunch of people who say, oh, no, you Christians just made that stuff up because you're a bunch of bigots and haters. I mean, it's preposterous. Tune in to The Awakening. Weekdays at noon central on American Family Radio. 80% of the time, an abortion-minded mother who views an ultrasound or sonogram of her baby will choose life. Here's the story of Candace. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. There are currently preborn centers which do not have an ultrasound machine. Would you sponsor a machine today? Dial pound 250 and say keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Your love can save a life. I, I don't I want to avoid the trap of speaking of what seems to be the opposition when I'm talking about some of the technical difficulties that we're having. <laughs> There's some things <laughs> happening behind the scenes here, yeah. um, which every now and then, you know, we have some technical difficulties. It's true. But today it seems to be like, I don't know, all forces working together. Dr. Heiser might correct me on that and say, no, it's not. That's not it. That's not how it works. <laughs> um, but re- really. Um, When you look at the scriptures, you look at the New Testament, you see that there's clear opposition and the Apostle Paul acknowledges this. He talks about the weapons of our warfare. And so I guess what I'm wondering, and I I would like to pick up here, by the way, welcome back. This is Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. I'm Miki. (laughs) And I'm Will, and that's Todd Delaney, Fall in Love Again. Dr. Michael Heiser is our guest, and it's always um, just such a great joy. We learn so much in talking to him. Um, he's authored a new book, Demons, What the Bible Really Says About the Powers of Darkness. And before we went to the break, <clears throat> it seemed that the opposition really boils down to stopping the advancement of God's kingdom, that that seems to be um, the motive behind what these demons 
are doing in, in the unseen realm. Um, I have thought that they have something personal against me. I mean, in our marriages, in our families, in our mm-hmm. homes, all, you know, all across this country, I think that Christians have largely thought that there is some personal vendetta, if you will, against us, and that it's it's not just about advancing the kingdom. Um, Dr. Heiser, have you explored why we might think or even feel that way? Well, I, I would I would I would invert it a little bit. What is, what do the powers of darkness have to gain? If your marriage is destroyed, you know, if if you you know lose you know your job and you you know take it out on on your kids or your wife or you go off and you, you drown your your, you know, your your situation or just your hardship in drugs and alcohol and whatnot. Well, you, what what you do is you become a bad testimony anyone you would talk to. So you're, you're basically cutting yourself off from that. You're delegitimizing, mm. wow. you know, what, what, you know, the authority to say, you know, what you, what you need to say to other people, you know, about sin and salvation and whatnot. You know, it, it, it invalidates your effort. It impedes it. It invalidates it. And in some cases, it even reverses it. You know, and, and so the more discord, the more misery, you know, not, not only... Even aside from those things, they're just distractions. You know, one of the great things about you know, having a good marriage and a, you know a steady job is that your mind is free to think about other things. You know, and, and I would say one of those other things needs to be you know a ministry, and that could just be talking to somebody you know at work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be you know some official institutional thing. You know, what is your place? in the advancement of the kingdom of God. You know, but, but when you have all these hardships and catastrophes, it, it, it just accumulates into a distracted mind, you know, a just a, a, the severity just multiplies. But I mean, I, I, I grew up in a, in a home where, you know, we had, uh, my, my parents were divorced when I was five, my brother was three, and my mom, you know, married a, an alcoholic, morphine addict, he was <laughs> She checked off all the boxes in a row with one guy. Wow. <laughs> you know, and, and so, like, I've seen this, you know, and I, and I know, you know, how this ripples out you know, in, into life. But, you know, you get enough people who have, you know, children out of wedlock, or they, they have destroyed marriages, or they have drug problems and addiction, you know, all these things. If, if there's enough of it, then it ripples out to, to society. I mean, we know how this works. I mean, we can see it every day you know, if, we, if we're sort of looking out, you know, from our, our little our little sandbox here. And and this is why I think it's it's fun. It's, it's legitimate to believe. And I think it's biblical to believe that supernatural intelligence have has some role to play in the decisions you make and the the, the destruction that ensues from that. Like job well done. You know that that, that guy, that girl they're, they're taken care of for a because, man, look at what they're going to be dealing with now. You know, I've rendered them ineffective. So it, it's bigger than, you know, turning people into sock puppets, okay? And we always think of possession. We think of you know, demonic activity. A lot of it is just embroiling people in distraction and, and self-destruction. Hmm. So when is there a difference in um, the way demons operate, or at least 
what we learn about demons in the Old Testament versus the New Testament, it seems to me that there's a lot more talk about demon possession and oppression um, in the sense that we, here's the word, traditionally think about it mm-hmm. versus the Old Testament. Is that an accurate perception? Yeah, it, it is accurate. And it's a really good question, not only because if you think, you know, assuming, you know, people have read through the Old Testament, it's a good question, not only assuming that it's kind of obvious, like there are no instances in the Old Testament where a demon gets cast out of anybody, like zero. And then you have all this activity in the gospel. So it's useful because it will occur to people that, yeah, you know, that's that, that the case. But then it's also really useful for, you know, asking the question, well, why do you think, you know, why do you think that changed? Here's, a, here's sort of an even deeper question. Why is it, if you don't have all this stuff in the Old Testament, that when Jesus comes along and starts casting out demons, that the people assume that this is supposed to be something Messiah does? Like, like how do they make that connection if there's none of this going on in the Old Testament? Hmm. And, and the answer is that they were looking at certain things in the Old Testament a lot differently than we do. Uh, for instance, Psalm 91. This is one, one quick illustration. So Psalm 91, you know, actually getting a lot of talk now because of the corona thing. Mm-hmm. You read through Psalm 91, and it would stunt people to realize that the, in, in the intertestamental period, that the people at Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, they had you know, Psalm 91 there. It's been discovered among the Dead Sea Scrolls. But it was bundled with four other psalms that are not in the Hebrew Bible that are all exorcistic psalms. Hmm. Psalm 91 in, in ancient Jewish tradition was considered an exorcistic psalm. So you read that in the Word, and I don't see any demons. How, how in the world could they think this about Psalm 91? And, and in our Bibles, it doesn't even say Psalm of David, but in the intertestamental period, it was considered a Psalm of David. We actually have Hebrew text, the ancient text that say that of David for Psalm 91. Well, how, how is this? Well, again, if you're an Israelite or a Second Temple, New Testament, or a Jew, you know that the terms in Psalm 91 that get translated disease and pestilence and plague and mm-hmm. warfare, these are all the names of demons. Demons, hmm. you know, hostile forces of, of darkness. And, and there was a long tradition that David, because he wrote this psalm and a bunch of other ones, and some of these, you know, have power over demons, it could cast God's agent, the king, as having power over demons. They expect it, because they're, they're thinking in this mode, that, okay, if this guy is really the son of David, he should be able to do this. Wow. And lo and behold, he does. And, it, and that just, that sets him on fire, because it's like, wow. You know, we, we're seeing some of this stuff, but, but we as English readers, you know, we would never pick up on that. Wow. You know, you, we would never pick up on this tradition. And so, you know, you, you, this is why there's a change, because now he's the son of David, the exorcist, okay? Yeah, <laughs> the, big so, one, the real one. Now he's here. And, and, and now, we, now it's game on. Right. So, so now, but beyond that, we see the disciples or apostles doing the same. We, we, um, we, see, we see in first and second second and third century writings of, you know, some of the early, earlier uh, believers saying that the same things were happening, that demons were being cast out. So for today, can we say that 
these things should still be happening in our midst among the believers today? Well, I I, I would say they do. And I, I, I'm not from the charismatic tradition. Mm-hmm. I have a number of friends that are. But even outside that tradition, this still does happen. I mean, I've had a number of conversations with people who are, are not, you know, again, part of the Pentecostal or charismatic tradition that, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, or a short way to put it, they just found themselves in a situation where, okay, we've eliminated all the other things that this, this problem could be, and now we're down to this. Mm. And so they they assume, because Jesus does, you know, say this, the New Testament does teach this, that, that you know, in Jesus' name, we're going to command you to, to leave. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it doesn't mm-hmm. turn them into demon hunters, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. thought it was out <laughs> TV show. Right. But it, it's just that, it's just that they... they they knew enough scripture and biblical theology to know that, okay, I do have authority to do this. Mm. And we're going to trust, you know, we're going to trust the Lord that, that we're going to get the, the right outcome here. So they don't, they don't sort of wield it as a weapon. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of, oh, there, there are people out there who sort of take this idea and, and you know, now I'm going to put on the, you know, like the, instead of the bad utility belt, it's the demon utility belt. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go out there and hunt for demons right. or something, you know the new Avenger or whatever. But, yeah, again, I think that's the wrong approach. But I right. do think when, when Providence you know, puts you in these situations, yes, mm. unless you have the authority to do this. Mm. I want to, since we're on this topic a little bit and we're, we're running out of time here, you know, COVID-19 is a big topic of conversation, obviously, for the church, of course, for those outside of the church as well. I'm wondering how this right now is used to stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. In light of what you said, like looking at what the real spiritual battle is, how is COVID-19 and maybe by extension the fear that, that it brings along yeah. with it, how does this stop the growth of God's kingdom? Well, I, I, I think you, you use the key term. I think fear is, is just core. It's just central to this. And, and again, I'm not saying that when you have a, a very real health threat that the proper response is to not care about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. what I am saying is that an equally wrong response is to be paralyzed by it, mm-hmm. because what that what that shows is again I, this might sound a little harsh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and win here. But that shows a really low view of providence. Mm. You know, it really does. You know, and, and part of providence is you know if you, if you try to do the right thing, sometimes you're gonna suffer and whatnot. I mean, there's no guarantee that you know, believers aren't gonna get this thing. Mm-hmm. But regardless of that. The one thing that we do you know, have control over is, again, how are we looking at this as an opportunity to forward the progress of the Great Commission? What, mm-hmm. what might those opportunities be? You know, and, and then you have to decide, you know, risk factors and whatnot, and you have to be responsible and, and live in wisdom. That's why we have wisdom books in the Bible. You know, they're there for a reason. But I, I think fear is, is, a, is a huge deal, and I also think distraction is. Now, I, I'll speak for my own sort of academic orientation here. And I, I've, I've, been, I've, I've been dipped into the fringe community, both of the New Age side and the Christian side, for you know, 20 years now. And there's nothing like a good pandemic to distract people, to distract Christians from doing things that they could do better use their time you know, for. Mm. You know, I mean, okay, okay I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to track down what the real story is. I'm going to spend 50 hours of my time 
you know, who, to see who the players are, who the good guys are, the bad guys, and what the conspiracy is about the COVID-19 virus. I'm going to do that. Well, why don't you spend, why don't you take 45 of those and do something useful for the kingdom of God? I, I think there's a distraction factor here. Hmm. Wow. Um, you know, it, it, I, I see it, and maybe I see a little bit more of it because of the emails I get and the websites you know, I follow and things like this. So I might be a little too sensitized to it. But again, I'm, I'm willing to, to say that because I think there is a lot of that. And at the end of the day, let's say, okay, you're right. You pivot. You got you got all the players down. You were exactly correct on how this happened. Who's the blame? How does that change your mission? Yeah. Yeah. What, what changes? We've, the we've is, got about a minute and a half. Dr. Heiser, I hate to jump in. We've got about a minute and a half, but I, I really want to allow you some time to be able to um, encourage our listeners because I think the question then becomes, what type of power and what type of authority do we have? When we talk about demons, I think there's some fear. You take COVID-19 out of it. I think there's fear when we talk about demons and we talk about this unseen realm. Mm -hmm. Why is fear the inappropriate response to what we're talking about today and what type of authority do we have? Because I think there's two reasons. Some some of the things that you fear are just lies. They're just falsehoods. It's, mm -hmm. it's just it's, it's just bad thinking, bad theology. You're, you're trained to fear something because you don't know the truth well enough to realize that the thing you fear is not legit. And then the, the other side is well, you know, there are there are legit fears, but again, we have to ask ourselves: Is God ultimately in control of our lives? Is this really our home, or is the next one? I mean, look at look at what they're dealing with in the first century. Mm -hmm. You know, under persecution constantly. You know, Paul. You know, am I going to die today? You know, he actually uses language like this in some of his epistles. I mean, these people knew what it was to suffer and take risks. But you know what? They, they did a good job, and they're with the Lord. You know, and, and the Lord took care of their friends and their family. You know, so, so we have to have the same eternal perspective. Yeah, uh, that, that's difficult. I'm not saying. But, but that is you know, what the Lord wants to do. Dr. Michael Heiser, everybody. The book is Demons, What the Bible Really Says About the Powers of Darkness. I encourage you to pick up a copy and the other ones. <laughs> you yeah. can go to Amazon. You can get this book wherever you get your books. And people are already responding. They're going to read it because this is something that we care about. Thank you so much to Dr. Michael Heiser for his time. Well, we'll continue unpacking this. I feel like he's touched on a lot of the stuff that in the midst of COVID-19 we've kind of already talked about. And you can see really uh, why we need to be focused and laser focused to say it that way. All right. We're out of time for today. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.